Think Red Ink Ministries presents The Words of Jesus series with Don C. Harris Hello friends and welcome once again to the Words of Jesus series. I'm Don Harris of Think Red Ink Ministries. My goal is to reinforce Christianity with the wisdom and the words of Jesus which, incidentally, are recorded in red in your Bible. Did you know what Jesus said? What Jesus did? What Jesus said to do? Uh, this series is based on Jesus, his life, his friends, his ministry, and his relationship with his Father, as is recorded in the four Gospels. We've been talking from chapter 17 of our little book, and uh, we have uh, just discussed the fact that Jesus and his disciples walked through the cornfield that day and uh, were, were getting themselves something to eat, plucking the ears and rubbing them in their hands. The, uh, other, uh, the, uh, some of the Gospels use terms that the others uh, don't, but uh, one of them will tell you that they were rubbing them in their hands um, and we were talking about how the Jews had defined what work actually is, and this fell into that category, and they were not allowed to do this on the Sabbath day. Among the Jews, the, the Sanhedrin, the, the rulers, uh, the priests in the temple, these kind of things, had a, a kind of an amalgam of, um, of law enforcement and also spiritual leadership. So uh, the only threat that these um, high priests, priest or whoever was involved in, in the temple or the Sabbath cops, uh, the only um, way that they could enforce their will upon the people was to threaten their um, acceptance in or their membership, if you will, in the temple itself. So people were essentially deathly afraid of offending these Pharisees. And uh, so the Pharisees uh, would uh, use that intimidation to keep people in line so that they wouldn't displease God, so that God wouldn't put them back into captivity or whatever. Well, in all the good intentions, they had made the commandments of God of no effect by their traditions, Jesus said. By your traditions, you've made it of no effect. Now, what effect is the Sabbath supposed to have for us? Well, it's supposed to set, a, set aside a day of, of dedication and communication with our God, uh, a day of rest. Uh, there are some people that have prioritized the effects, if you will, of Sabbath day, and they've gone about to... Uh, keep the Sabbath day in another way. Um, example, the Sabbath day was given to us because, you know, it's a medical fact. It's not, but they say it's a medical fact that we have to rest one day in seven. Well, that's probably a good idea. I don't know that it's any medical fact, and I don't know that the ratio of one in seven and all the rest of these things are considered to be you know, facts upon which a person can base a, a prognosis of health. However, some people have decided that that's what the Sabbath 
means. And so all God really expects us to do is to rest one day in seven, and I happen to choose Sunday. Or, you know, in some cases, I remember when I was a conventional preacher, I worked so hard on Sunday, I couldn't even consider that a Sabbath. It certainly wasn't a day of rest. So Monday was my Sabbath, if you want to call it that. I never was so presumptuous as to say it was indeed a Sabbath, but it certainly was my day of relaxation because I'd just been through a grueling Sunday. And um, so I didn't see any rest in that. So I moved my uh, day of rest to a more convenient time. Now, can you do that? Are you allowed to do that? Uh, is, does it count, as they say? Um, I don't think that, that that's really the idea at all. I don't think the Lord gave us the Sabbath because we need one day in seven. We, he gave us the Sabbath day because, you know, what's really odd about the Sabbath day is if you take all the commandments that were carved in stone that day, with the exception of um, uh, having gods, um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, that's a pretty wordy commandment. But do you realize there are more words dedicated to the, um, to the Sabbath commandment than any other commandment in the book? Uh, any other that was carved in rock that day. Not only does it tell us to keep it, it tells us when to keep it and why we should keep it. Um, and it, it, we really have to try. We have to exercise some severe mental calisthenics to figure out some other way to do it. Well, we've done that, haven't we? Well, uh, there's, there are fallacies uh, that have come out of the Catholic Church that um, we have changed the Sabbath to Sunday because Sunday's the day of resurrection. Well, we found out just recently as we studied this that that wasn't the day of resurrection at all. That was the day they found him gone, but we know that three days and three nights from the time that he was uh, crucified, executed, the time he died, three days and three nights brings him out of the grave just before the sun goes down on Sabbath. So we know that's not so. We also have um, his instruction to us that we're not under any obligation. Ah, I shouldn't even use the word obligation. He never told us to celebrate the day of his resurrection. Did you know that? He said that we are to remember the day of his death. We were never told to celebrate his birthday. We were never told to celebrate his resurrection. He said, it's my de the day of death. That's what we have to remember. And uh, so, you know, a lot of these arguments just don't hold water. Um, and I have heard some pretty poor arguments about Sabbath day. One fellow says, well, we keep Sunday because it's the Lord's day. I said, who told you it's the Lord's day? Well, the scriptures. And I said, really? Where? I'm interested. You're telling me there's a scripture that says that Sunday's the Lord's day? Well, sure. And I said, well, let's go there and let's take a look. Well, he goes and he says, he shows me that the Apostle John in the book of Revelation said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. 
<laughs> yeah, and? Well, there it is. What? He said I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day. We all know the Lord's Day is Sunday. And I'm thinking, this is good enough for you. Uh, I, don't, I don't understand what he's talking about. I don't see this as saying anything about Sunday or the Sabbath or anything else. But he insisted that Sunday is the Lord's Day. Yeah, 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 Saturday's the Sabbath, but Sunday's the Lord's Day. And I'm thinking, all right, my mind immediately goes back to the scripture that we were just reading. When he says that, that the Sabbath wasn't made for man, but man was made for the... I'm sorry, I said it, I said it the way they believe it. Um, that, the, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath day. So you're telling me that the Lord's day is Sunday, but the Lord is the Lord of the Sabbath day. Look, I'm telling you, there's a whole lot of information you're going to have to ignore. There's a whole lot of commandment you're going to have to disobey. There's just a whole lot of scripture you're going to have to circumnavigate for the rest of your life until you get a hold of it. Like I said, when we started the, the show today, I mean, perhaps that was yesterday, where I was saying that for the last three chapters of, of this little book we're talking about, the Sabbath was the subject of everything that Jesus happened to try to do. It was the, it was, it was the subject. And we know, essentially, conventional Christianity knows essentially nothing about it. And uh, boy, when I started looking into it and I started realizing, oh my goodness, has that been there all along? Has it always said that? Yes, it has. Well, where have I been? Well, <laughs> Sunday school, <laughs> that's where you've been. And they don't talk about these things. But I think that the Sabbath is a wonderful gift from God. And I think that it's a wonderful honor to him to, uh, to keep that day the way he wants it kept. Now, what about the one day in seven? Can we do that? Is that all right? Can we make those kind of changes? Uh, well, let's just say that perhaps uh, you read the commandment that says, honor your father and mother. Your father is not honorable. Your mother is not honorable. These are, you know, I, look, do you know, as a counselor, I have to deal with this a lot because when people want to keep the commandments of God, they find that one in there and they say, oh my goodness, how am I going to do this? You don't know my mom. You don't know my dad. These people were, they were terrible to me. You know, they beat my little brother. They, you know, they, they sold my little sister into slavery or something. I mean, drug addicts or whatever else. And they say, these are not honorable people. Well, first of all, and, and we'll, we'll, we will talk about that in future shows, but uh, uh, he, to honor them is not to endorse everything they do. But um, let's just say somebody read that and said, you know, my parents aren't honorable. But that old sweet old couple lives down the road, they are. They're great people. You know, the, your, your wife goes down there and has tea with her every day at 4 o'clock. Or you play golf with him on, you know, on, uh, on the weekends, and you, you know, you have you, you you fellowship and you have fun. They're great old people, great old people. You know what? I'm gonna say 
They're my parents, and I can honor them. Well, have you kept the commandment? Or did you just change it so that you can feel like you're honoring the commandment, but you really aren't? Well, I think that that's what happens to many Christians when they consider, I keep the Sabbath day. I keep it every Sunday. Um, why? <laughs> why are you doing that? And chances are, you're not doing that either. But um, why is it that we need to change it just a little bit, just tweak it a little bit so that it fits our lifestyle? Um, I, don't think we, I don't think we would dare do this with any other commandment, but this one, this one suffers the brunt of everybody in modern Christendom with an opinion. Um, and so I would encourage you to find out what this is all about and understand it. Now, you could have a problem. If you try to take these words and understand them in the, in the context or in the, the framework that you're living in now, you may find that it's, it's harder to understand. If we, if we don't approach the scriptures in here with a pure heart and with what I'm going to show you is the key of David, if we don't approach the scriptures that way, we can walk away with a pretty poor conclusion and essentially no obedience to them whatsoever. Remember David was trying to explain to these Pharisees at this time uh, he says, you know, you, you're saying that these disciples are violating the Sabbath because they're eating corn. But you remember David when he came and ate the showbread? Now, that showbread was not lawful for any man to eat except the priest alone. Yet David ate it. And was it Abiathar? I think it was Abiathar, the priest, he said, uh, well, you know, well, you know, what do you think about this? And he says, well, you know, I've, my men are with me. We haven't been carousing. We haven't been doing anything that would be considered unclean or sinful. Um, and we're hungry. So he gave him the bread and they ate it. Now, Jesus said it was absolutely unlawful for David to eat that bread. But you see, David knew something that many people don't know. He, he was, the Bible teaches us, that David was a man after God's own heart. David understood some things that, frankly, modern Christianity and all religion does not understand. Um, he says, now, let's take for example, he says, um, the the priest in the temple kids uh he's born on friday and um the eighth day is the sabbath day yet the commandment says he has to be circumcised the priests don't have any trouble doing that on sabbath day now if you don't have any trouble with the priest taking somebody apart on the sabbath day surely you can't have trouble with me putting them together <laughs> and uh he says also, the priests work like crazy on the Sabbath in the temple and are considered to be blameless. There's, there's something to this in the temple that excludes these, uh, these uh, 
uh, laws and rules and things like this that this this key that David has this understanding of the Lord there are certain things that can be done in this shelter of the temple that couldn't be shouldn't be done outside and in in understanding this he was able to feed his crew that showbread in the temple Jesus said that the the priests violate the Sabbath day because they work like crazy on the Sabbath day. That showbread had to be made every day. But they were doing it in the temple and they were blameless. Do you know the temple has always meant something very, very special to the Jew? And that was the place that, well, as a matter of fact, uh, some of the first manifestations in our society of the temple, so to speak, uh, it was known as the, um, uh, prior to this, it was, it was known as the tabernacle. And prior to that, it was known as the meeting tent, the tent of meeting. Now, in our vernacular, the way we speak today, when we hear tent of meeting, what do we think? Well, you know, if you're an old Pentecostal boy like me, you're thinking of the old meeting tent that they set up in the cow pasture out there about once every six or eight months, and uh, they had revival out there. That's the meeting tent. Um, and that's where people come to meet, and that's where they have meeting. And so we understand meeting tent a little differently than the Jews understand. Well, actually, the Jews had this problem as well, it was the Lord himself that said, this is going to be my tent of meeting. What is my tent of meeting? What is the, the meeting, so to speak, of or what happens in this tent? This is not us meeting together. This is the Father meeting with us. And one of the works of Jesus that he accomplished when he came here to the earth was he... Um, actually dispossessed that temple of all of that mystique and if you want to call it power of power and placed all all of that within the heart of mankind and now as paul says the temple of god is within us we are the temple of god so what is he saying this is the place of meeting right here within us that's the tent of meeting. That's the place of meeting. That's the tabernacle. What do we talk about when this tabernacle be dissolved, right? This is a tabernacle. This is a tent. This is, this is our earth suit. This is our, our earth clothes. Our flesh is our, it's our earth clothes. And, and the cloths with which the flesh is constructed is the very same cloths spiritually as what the the tabernacle is made of and the tent of meeting was made of the parallels between the temple the meeting tent um, the tabernacle the temple and the flesh that we live in today we ourselves all those parallels are striking and consistent there's no reason to believe that there was any need of a temple after Jesus Christ came and made us containers of the Holy Spirit. 
something we could never be before. On the day of Pentecost, it came to fruition that the people of God, that temple was indeed sanctified and set aside and then filled with the Spirit of God, just like that tent was out there in the wilderness. You remember that when they got all done building it? When they got all done building it, then the fire fell from heaven and it, can, and it filled that tent and that vapor and the smoke. and uh, I mean, it, was, it must have been a, a, a huge thing. Well, it was as huge, if not a little less, than uh, what happened on the day of Pentecost because we see them, um, it said that they, that they spoke um, in tongues and that these tongues of fire, here's your fire, sat upon each of them. Now, this is probably figurative speech. Uh, Maybe it's not. I don't know. Wasn't there. But uh, nevertheless, those parallels are are striking and absolutely consistent. There's no reason to believe that, that the temple of God had any use whatsoever after Jesus Christ came and made his sacrifice. As a matter of fact, because Jesus made his sacrifice, there was no need for temple sacrifice anymore. Josephus tells a story. I don't know. I wasn't there, <laughs> as I say. Uh, Josephus tells a story that, that the priests, when they would do the scapegoat offering, and they would go to lead this, this goat uh, away from the temple, having upon him been confessed all the sins of Israel, that they would tie a, uh, the doors of the temple together, close them and tie them together with a scarlet ribbon, and that when they returned from this trip, I don't know if this is so, I wasn't there, but the the ribbon had supposedly turned white. And um, he says that after the sacrifice of Christ, that never happened again. Never happened again. I don't know how true the story is. Look it up. You know, you you can decide. (laughs) You're as qualified as I am. And um, there was... It was pretty obvious that the temple was essentially, as far as God was concerned, in disuse when we became the temple of God. Um, he gave Israel 40 years to repent from what they actually did and how they treated Messiah, his son. Um, he gave them 40 years. So if you take the fact that Jesus died in 30 A.D., and um, I don't want to argue about it, but uh, there's many different ideas. I've just come up with 30. So if he died in 30 A.D. and we add 40 years to that, we fall right on the timeline of Antiochus Epiphanes offering that pig on that altar and discrediting and, uh, dis, uh, and unsanctifying this uh, temple and uh, eventually the Romans tore it to the ground. There, many Jews believe that when Messiah came, there would be no use for that temple anymore. Well, that's exactly what happened. And it was torn down, not because of disuse or not thinking that they didn't need it, but it was torn down because it was pretty obvious it would never be torn down. They would continue to do sacrifices just like they did before Jesus came. And it was an abomination to God for people to give sacrifice after his son shed his blood for us. Now, 
I say all that so you'll understand this idea of the temple. There is such a thing as living within this temple. It's all part and parcel of my instructions to you about keeping God's commandments, never disobeying your conscience, and taking time every day to hear the voice of God. You see, that time that we take to hear the voice of God, He may very well explain things to us in such a way that that what we do might look to the world, like me out mowing grass on Sunday, it might look to the world like we've given up on our faith. It might look to the world like we're dishonoring God, doing something that's sacrilegious, violating some uh, commandment or ordinance or whatever, as David would have been considered had he been seen eating the showbread. Um, But it's really not a problem when it's done by and through a good solid communication with God. You see, his intention was to not keep 613 laws, and I'm using 613 like they do. I don't believe there's 613 laws. Um, But uh, instead of trying to preserve these 613 laws, what he said was, I want you to keep my commandments. Not not all the ones that have been attached over the years, but these 10, these are my commandments. These are the ones that I expect you to keep. As a matter of fact, as Moses explained these commandments to the children of Israel and uh, and opened them and showed them wider vistas about each of these commandments and applied them in different situations, there was created a second law. If you want to say second law in Greek, you would say it Deuteronomy. (laughs) So the book of Deuteronomy is indeed the second law. Well, even though it's the second law, it was written by men. This is not necessarily God's law. And so There are many of these laws and rules for the priesthood, rules for the temple, and all these kind of things that in the the ultimate plan of God were to be done away. They were to be nailed on the cross. The statutes and ordinances that were against us, they were nailed to his cross. Now, many people try to put the tin there, but you're not allowed to do that. But these, they were to be nailed to the cross, done away with. Actually, the word that the King James uses is abolished. <laughs> abolished. All the time Jesus saying, uh, this, this law will never pass away. How can you justify that? Because he's not talking about the same law. Those Ten Commandments will never pass away till all things are fulfilled. And uh, the other ones? Oh, sorry. You know, they're, they're on their way out. David knew this. God knows this, and from his understanding, and because he dealt from the inside, from that area of the temple within himself, he was able to do what he did without violation to God. Our time is gone. I'm so sorry, but uh, we'll see you next time. Be right here, and we'll see you then. Okay? Bye-bye. You've been listening to Don C. Harris of Think Red Ink Ministries. Email don at thinkredink.com.
That's thinkredink.com. Join us again for the next episode in the Words of Jesus series.